Hello, I'm Paul Fox, your door-to-door storyteller, and I'd like to give you a story. This story is called The Canary Trick by Gretel and Darkey. Lupin Magnus sat by the bear cages, polishing his bronze rings. For some reason, the crowds always loved the rings. Lupin himself didn't particularly care for them anymore. They were good for some clever tricks, old as the mountains and just as reliable. He would always perform the ring tricks. People always gasped when he made the bronze circlets join together in the air or pulled flowers out of their empty centers. It was classic magicianship, and Lupin appreciated that. But he had been doing it for years now. He knew people came often to the arena. He recognized their faces, and sometimes they called out for a particular illusion. But they always reacted to the ring tricks, as though they'd never seen them before. But then, with this crowd, Lupin didn't know why he was surprised that they found simple bronze rings so amazing. Lupin didn't think much of the people who frequented the Flavian Amphitheater to watch people kill each other or be killed by wild animals. And Lupin knew that that was why they came. He had been working at the amphitheater for seven years now as an entertainer. He knew what drew the crowds. He had always known. But somehow it had been easier at the beginning. He could enjoy his position as a privileged entertainer and not worry about the wild beasts or the legions waiting in cages to kill each other or the slaves tied to posts when the bears were unleashed. But years of standing in front of that bloodthirsty crowd, hearing them cheer and jeer from his waiting place beneath the arena, Lupin had slowly come to despise the men and women who sat on the stone benches, sometimes week after week, eating chicken legs, while the blood spurted like geysers into the air. Lupin knew that he was lucky. He was still the envy of the small town outside Naples where he was born. He hadn't been called Lupin Magnus then. His humble mother would never have dared to name one of her seven sons the Great Wolf. It was the traveling magician who had dubbed him that. Lupin had been watching the old man perform the bronze ring trick outside a rickety cart in the market square. When Lupin had approached the man afterwards and told him how the trick was done, the man was so impressed that he said Lupin had eyes as sharp as a wolf. And so the seed was planted. The old man taught Lupin some of his tricks, and a year later, Lupin ran away to Naples to find a magician who would take him as an apprentice. He had worked off his apprenticeship fairly quickly, too. Lupin knew he was lucky in this as well. His master was a cantankerous fat man who wouldn't trust Lupin with all of his secrets but Lupin had an eye for figuring out illusions. 
and before long he was inventing tricks that his master had never dreamed of. The frustrating thing was that none of that seemed to matter. Lupin had obtained work at one of the largest arenas in Italy, and yet he was still just a sideshow to the ocean of bloody spectacles. And people still couldn't figure out the bronze ring trick, even when he tried to make it easy for them. So often, people only saw what they wanted to see. At night, Lupin worked on a new illusion. It would be his best, he knew. He could feel it in his breath and his bones, the way a sailor can sense the nearness of the sea. It would be the most magnificent trick he had ever done. But something kept him from finishing it. Perhaps it was his own lack of skill. He wanted to defy death, like all great magicians. But that was harder than it seemed, even in the realm of illusion. And then there was the worry that the trick would be too good. Would anyone believe that a creature once dead could rise to life again? Make way for the slaves! Decimus, the huge slave master of the arena, bellowed down the underground corridors. His enormous basso profundo voice echoed far ahead of his rolling bulk, which was fortunate because if you didn't get out of Decimus's way, he was liable to trample you. Lupin gathered up his rings and scarves and stowed them in his hip pouch. Normally, he would spend his time in the entertainer's chambers waiting to perform his act, but today he had wandered into the corridor near the beasts for some peace. It seemed odd to look for peace near the half-starved bears captured from the forests of Gaul. But no one else liked it here. So Lupin had discovered within his first year at the amphitheater that this was a good place to practice his tricks, or just to get away from the gossip and noise of the other entertainers. Lately, the gossip had been all about the new kind of slave being ripped apart in the arena above. Well, they weren't really new, per se. Apparently, their sect had been around for a few hundred years, but they'd only recently started to be sent to this arena, and Lupin didn't like what he heard about them either. Usually, the people who were sent to the bears were criminals against the state. They had committed a crime, like treason, and that crime was punishable by death. Even the legions that came to fight each other only did so because they had somehow betrayed the emperor or fallen short of his expectations. But these new people were different. As far as Lupin could tell, they hadn't really done anything. True, they had technically disobeyed a law, but Lupin couldn't understand that particular law. Betrayal, revolt... Murder, theft, all of these were crimes that deserved punishment. No one would dispute that, but this was different. The most common explanation Lupin had heard 
was that their crime was treachery. The accused were traitors because they would not pledge complete loyalty to the emperor. But, Lupin wondered, is there really a Roman citizen who is completely loyal to Diocletian? Lupin suspected that, like himself, many citizens would admit to holding something back from the emperor, if it didn't mean their death to say so. Even soldiers might give up their lives for the emperor, but most of them probably wouldn't give up other things. Their honor, perhaps, or their family's land. It was complicated. Still, Lupin thought, they could take the oath. They could say the words. They didn't have to mean it. But they won't. It was incomprehensible. Out of the way, Loop, Desmus said, rounding the corner with a group of slaves. Lupin counted seven. They looked like upper-class citizens, which wasn't unheard of, but was less common than the usual plebeian prisoners brought to satiate the beasts. What did they do? Lupin asked. Decimus grinned, showing his blackened teeth. Treason to the emperor. Sentenced to be made sport of by the bears. Should be fun. Lupin shuddered. He had come to respect his fellow performers less and less, especially Decimus. The ugly giant of a man seemed to glory in the disgusting things done above ground. Sometimes he even filled in for the headsman at lunchtime. Lupin tried not to grimace in Decimus's face. You should watch this time. Decimus said. Might make a man out of you. Lupin grunted. He didn't feel like engaging with Decimus right now. Besides, the big man would leave in a minute. He usually left the slaves chained by the bears on some pretext or other before they had to face the animals in the arena. He said it made the sport better if they had the anticipation of seeing the beasts before they were devoured. Lupin thought this was disgusting, but he didn't say so. Decimus chained the slaves to an iron ring in the wall. I'll be back, he said a little too casually. I need to uh, check on something. Lupin rolled his eyes and inspected his pouch to make sure he wasn't leaving anything behind. As he did so, one of the brass rings fell out of his pouch and rolled across the floor toward the slaves. One of the men bent down and picked it up. He looked at it curiously. This is yours, he said, holding the ring out to Lupin. Yes, thanks, Lupin muttered. He didn't want to look at the condemned men. A good trick, but simple, the man said. Lupin looked up then. He couldn't help himself. I assume there are other rings, the man asked. You make them join together or cause impossible things to appear in the center. Something like that, Lupin admitted. Well, I had a slave once, the man said, who could do that trick. 
Did he show you how it was done? No, the man smiled. He didn't have to. Just then, one of the bears roared and charged toward the cage bars, swiping at the prisoners. Lupin took an involuntary step back, as did some of the slaves. The man who had been speaking to the magician, however, didn't move. He simply looked at the bear. Lupin could almost imagine he saw pity in the man's eyes. You're very clever, Lupin said, after the bears had calmed again and stalked away from the bars of their cage. Not really, the man said, smiling. I only figured it out after seeing it the third or fourth time. It's not my favorite trick, Lupin admitted, but it's useful. Why was he talking to this man? But he couldn't seem to stop. I have a much better one that I'm working on. I take a live canary, you see. I hold it out and break its neck. Then... Well, I haven't figured this part out yet. But then I'm going to bring it back to life again. Resurrection. The man seemed to light up from within. The other slaves watched them intently. Do you know, we're all here today because we believe that we will come back to life after this trial in the arena. Lupin stared at the man. Then he stepped away from him. But before he could say anything, Decimus's hulking form lumbered into view around the curving wall of the arena's underground hallway. All right, gentlemen, the giant rumbled. Onto the platform with you. You'll go up in this elevator, and the bears will come up in that one over there. See, we tried to give you some distance so you'd have a chance. He roared with laughter. Thank you, the man said. And his companions murmured their thanks as well as they stepped onto the platform. Ha! Decimus mocked. Thank Zeus, if your death is quick. And he began turning the lever that raised the platform toward the opening into the arena above. We have no need for Zeus, the man who had talked to Lupin called down as the platform clattered upward. We have found a more powerful master. Then the slaves were out of sight. That's when I met Januarius. Lupin said to the crowd of youngsters gathered around him. The last day of his life was the first day of mine. Because of the ring trick? One of the children asked. Yes, I suppose so, Lupin answered, joining the rings in midair and then pulling flowers out of their empty centers. He saw the trick for what it was, you see. Just a trick. Lupin pulled a canary from the center of one of the rings, and I figured that a man who could see that could see what was a trick and what was real. Well, that man might know what he was talking about. With a snap, Lupin broke the bird's yellow neck. The children gasped. There are moments when I envy him, Lupin said. Why? asked a little girl. Because he could make the wild bears tame? No, Lupin said after carefully covering the canary with a handkerchief. 
even though he made the Bears tame, he was eventually killed, you know. Decimus chopped his head off. Lupin sighed. I know it's safe for us now. With Constantine as the emperor, Lupin pinched the fabric between his thumb and index finger. But I sometimes wonder what it would be like to die for the faith. He pulled the cloth away, and the bird flew away singing in a blaze of yellow feathers. You just listened to The Canary Trick by Gretel and Darky, read to you by your door-to-door storyteller, Paul Fox. Thank you for listening. A production of We Are One Body Audio Theatre.